Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Instant-ish reaction edition of the Night Report podcast. I'm your host Mike Brudman. Joining me once again is Richie Schneiderite and Craig Epstein. Guys, we got a lot to talk about. Uh, we got a new transfer football commit. We have some coaching changes to talk about. We also have a, a pretty disappointing basketball game to discuss from yesterday. Uh, but let's get right into it with this new football commit. Uh, we we have a nose tackle from Old Miss. His name is Isaiah Eiten. Uh, he's got one year of eligibility left. He had a he entered the portal on like uh, January sixth, and he committed to Rutgers January eighth. He basically right from announcing he's going into the portal, took a visit to Rutgers, wrapped it up. He had an existing relationship with D line coach Marquise Watson, who previously was the assistant defensive line coach at Ole Miss. So that one was a, a kind of a no brainer. But uh, tell me a little, tell us a little bit about what we're getting this kid, Rich. Uh, yes, I mean, you're, you're beefing up the, the interior. You finally get a guy that's going to go next to, the, I guess, Hamilton, for the most part, I'd say, or Conga. I guess that really depends, because Hamilton's kind of more of like a swing guy at this point, going back and forth between the inside and outside. But uh, you, get, you get some experience there, too. He's a former four-star Juco, like you mentioned. Uh, how was Rutgers able to get him? So he technically went to Northern Colorado first, then went to Juco, then went to, ended up at Ole Miss. Uh, he didn't do a whole lot the past two seasons. But, but like you said, the Marquise Watching connection that connection is there. Um, so now he's going to come to Rutgers, and he's he's probably going to be a hundred. I want to say ninety nine percent sure he'll be the starter. Uh, he has one year of eligibility left. Six four, two ninety five. He's he's super athletic. Actually played the edge quite a bit in uh, high school, and even in like JUCO, he played the edge a little bit. So it's he's like that kind of shows that athleticism that he can do that as at that size. But uh, probably going to play the inside for Rutgers. It looks like he packs like a really powerful punch. Uh, and at this point of attack, he tends to win like those battles against those centers and guards. So I'm a big fan of this guy, um, and I can't rave enough about how good this this staff has done recruiting portal guys defensively, and even in high school recruiting, it's always been Chiano's mo, like it's just recruiting defense and developing defensive players. And it's another big win for Rutgers, and you're getting a pretty solid kid for uh, for next season. But here's the real question, Richie. I think everybody's wondering: Can he play the cock nose? Oh Jesus! Oh, oh boy, <laughs> cock nose is dead. Yeah. That was Julius Turner's role. That's never coming back, hopefully. Um, but no, he's he's going to be a pretty good player. He's uh he's interesting. He, he hasn't done it much for Ole Miss. I know some Ole Miss fans are a little upset that uh, he's leaving. Others are like, yeah, he was kind of like second, third string for us, so whatever. But. It doesn't seem like he developed too much from his time at Juco to Ole Miss, but uh, I, I think he trusts Rutgers here. And you get some good size, like 6'4", 295. Guys, don't don't grow on trees, especially ones that are good. Like, he had a four-star ranking for a reason. Like, And I trust our Juco guy, our Juco guy more than anyone in the entire world. This man's been on uh, – what was that show, that Juco show? Well, That's not a bad uh, name last for it. Chance, that was last Chance You. Yeah, he, the uh, Juco show, I kind of like that. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> he's a, his name's Brad Hoysis. He's he's been phenomenal. He's been doing this for like thirty something years, and he he was interviewed multiple times by Last Chance U. Like he knows what the hell he's talking about when it comes to JUCO players, and he loved this kid. So 
if you love the kid, I, I trust his evaluation. Yeah, he's a massive human being. If you see pictures of him, he's just like, he looks like one of those dudes who's just like, he's not cut huge, but he's just massive. Like his arms are massive. He's got this like barrel chest. He's a massive, massive person. Um, so he'll add some much needed beef to the, the interior. He's kind of filling in for the Ifan Maja role who, uh, and I think he's better than Ifan Maja. Um, we only get him for one year. He's got one year of eligibility. Um, but this is a kid, like you were saying that there was a bit of a mixed reaction. So he, he saw a lot less playing time at Old Miss this year than he did in 2021. Everybody was excited about what the potential was of him in 2021, but he never really mm -hmm. seemed to get any better, like you said, since Juco. And that's, you know, that's honestly, that's an old miss because is that it's your job as a staff to develop guys. And I think we could see a good deal of, of development because, I mean, if you just look at how much some of our offensive or defensive linemen had developed under Shiano and company, like mm -hmm. the, the jumps that Wesley Bailey and, and Aaron Lewis made this year, they were night and day different players. Like our defensive line turned from a liability in 2021 to arguably like the strongest unit on the team in 2022. Mm -hmm. So I, I do think there's quite a bit of potential to unlock with Aiton um, in his one year at Rutgers, uh, especially because there's going to be playing time available. He's going to be able to play a ton here. So I do like this commitment a lot. Um, yeah, and plus, plus, as we kind of said during the season, if you can get a guy like him in the middle who can kind of just at the very least just be a like, like our stuffer kind of guy, that opens up kind of the Aaron Lewis's and the Wesley Bailey's on the edges, and they can just feast on yeah. the quarterback. So honestly, like you see it in the NFL scene in college where it's like the defensive line is just basically it's like it's like a domino effect where if one piece works so well, it kind of opens up those other pieces. And if that one piece kind of falls apart, then kind of the whole thing might crumble down. But with this guy, if he's as good as you guys say he is, then, yeah, that should probably open up things for Lewis and Bailey. Yeah, plus the good defensive line can mask other deficiencies. Like, you don't have to have a great secondary if you have a great defensive line. I mean, just look at, like, some of the best defenses in the NFL. It's like the Eagles, the 49ers, the Bills, before Von Miller got hurt. All those teams are built right around their defensive line. Like, they have, you know, eight guys deep on all those teams because they know how important it is to generate consistent pressure to be in the backfield because it causes, you know, throws. It causes routes not to be able to develop on time causes errant throws, causes tip passes. So I, I think Rutgers is understanding how a defense needs to be built. It has to be built around the trenches and move outwards. Uh, so I'm very excited about this commitment. Um, yeah. So, I mean, mind you, he also had a like, top six before going to Ole Miss. Like, it's not like Ole Miss was the only school after him. He had a top six yep. at Florida State, Missouri, Arkansas, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, and Maryland. He also had an offer from an intriguing, intriguing program that we're very fond of now in Minnesota. Who was the code <laughs> DC at Minnesota when he got the offer? Joe Harris Simiak. Mm. Oh, at Juco? Yeah, out of Juco. He got a Minnesota okay. offer and it was Joe Harris Simiak, Coach Fleck, obviously. Obviously he was on a code DC, so it wasn't full like reins of everything in terms of recruiting and all that other stuff and the defensive line in general. But uh he's I mean he's still part of the process there, so uh, they obviously connected uh, a little bit and they were they were hanging out all all day yesterday at the the rack. I'm calling it the rack. I don't care anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and this was one of the positions that we had talked about as something the staff was looking to fill uh, in the transfer portal as an interior defensive line. <laughs> um, it sounds like now that we have, we don't have a full offensive staff <clears throat> fully uh, announced or developed. We're going to talk Ooh, about that in a second. But there are <laughs> additional players that we have told you guys that we're going to 
try and land out of the portal. Uh, at least one <clears> receiver, <throat> at least one tight end. It wouldn't surprise me if they landed multiple of each. Yeah, potentially an O-lineman, too. That one's still a little up for debate. I guess Soraka's probably going to come in, look at the guys, and be like, all right, well, watch your tape. You stink. I need a new one. Yep. Uh, <laughs> let's, let's, go, let's go find a tackle. <laughs> yep, and so let's just hop right into that. Uh, we've been alluding to some coaching stuff. So let's start with the OC. So obviously in our last pod, we talked about Rutgers landed its offensive coordinator in Kirk Soraka, who we all know from his first stint around. Uh, he was previously the offensive coordinator at Rutgers in 2009-2010. Um, the Gordon Board of Governors meeting happened on Saturday where they announced his uh, his contract. He's going to be making $1.4 million over three years for Rutgers. Mm-hmm. Not a bad pay bump for a guy who's making six hundred twenty-five dollars last year and was an offensive assistant at West Virginia in 2021. Um, so he went from making six twenty-five dollars to getting an extension with Minnesota for 950k a year to 1.4 with Rutgers. Uh, whoever his agent is, great job there. Um, yeah, phenomenal. Oh shit. Sure. Let's talk. Let's talk about other members of the staff, though. It sounds like they're not done shaking up the staff. Uh, you broke the news that it doesn't seem like uh, Augie Hoffman, the offensive line coach, is uh, going to be back at Rutgers. He's removed all references to Rutgers on his social media. He changed his, his social media handles um, on, like, at least Twitter. So he's definitely not coming back. What else are you hearing regarding the coaching staff? Yes, I think that's the big one right away. Um, you mentioned that. Like, you don't you don't change. I know everyone's like, well, you don't know he's out. And it's like, my man went from at Coach Hoffman RU to Augie H, like, yep. H3 or whatever. Um, the man's gone. Like, I hate to say it. Like, he's not coming back. It sounds like he's done. His contract did technically uh, was when he got that extension. What was it? A year ago or two years ago? It yeah. brought him into twenty twenty or through twenty twenty four. Or February twenty twenty four is when it would technically expire. So it, it technically, I guess, is a firing of course of sorts. I don't know if you want to say the term firing, let go, whatever. It's all the same. It's all the same terminology. Uh, so that's that was an interesting one to me because I, I didn't see him leaving. I thought I saw a couple others that probably would have uh, been let go, but they did. It sounds like Augie's gone. You're going to need a new O-line coach now. Now, what do you do? There's some interesting options out there, uh, starting right away with uh, Callahan at Minnesota, who's been Kirk Soraka's OC or, or O-line coach for just about every year except one uh, since 2013, or two, I guess, because you count that Penn State year. He was the tight ends coach. He was Western Michigan's O-line coach from 2013-2016, Minnesota tight ends in 2017, Minnesota O-line from 2018 to present day, so... That's that's an intriguing name. I don't know if you at this point just steal the entire staff from PJ Fleck. Everyone else <laughs> left the staff. Like, why not just hey, you know, just take Callahan too? Like, yep. Um, there's also some big names. If you want to shoot for the stars, you go after Darnell Stapleton. I think down at uh, Florida, and you, if you could puck an SEC coach, it's like holy shit! Like, it's pretty. Is he the full time D line or offensive line coach <clears throat> at Florida? Yep, he is. Uh, Billy Napier apparently loves him. He's got juice. He's an NFL player, former NFL player. You know, he's going to go around flaunting that uh, Super Bowl ring, too. Um, I mean, you just stole a big 10. I thought he was so much older than he is. He's 37. So his NFL career ended in 2009, and he's only 37. He got the the chip and left. He's like, fuck this. I got my ring. I'm I'm good. I don't need to to do anything else. Like, uh, the obvious name and the most – one that we've kind of heard it the most and makes the most sense, in my opinion, is just Scott Vallone. 
now people are like, he's a D-line. He played D-line his whole career. It's like, exactly. Who would know the offensive line better than a D-line guy? It's like the same thing as, like, the D.C. knows the offense better than the O.C., blah, 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 vice versa. Um, he's also been really good on the recruiting trail. And recruiting's what? I used to be, like, 50% of the battle. I'd argue recruiting 75% of the battle at this point. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, especially because there's they've cut down the limitations on, like, staff sizes. So, like, and also this is going to change a lot, too, because now you can have as many guys on the road as you want. So it's going to change that. That's going to be interesting. When it, like, you don't have, special. like, two different sets of coaches. Like, one's for recruiting, one's for actually coaching. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that, too, because when they had that open role where Susan took over tight ends and Gleason was gone, Valone was the one that got bumped up and went to the road. Similar to, like, what Ole Miss did with Watson, like, a year ago or two years ago. Um, you, you probably bump your top assistant or top recruiter and put him on the road. And he's a big reason, like, why they landed Dylan Braithwaite, why they landed Ian Strong. He's the reason why the Josiah Brown is like heavily, heavily considering Rutgers. Like he's a hell of a uh, recruiter. I think it would make a lot of sense just to bump him up right away and, and just be done with it. Plus, he played on the teams that Kirk Soraka coached. Like, I just think it makes a lot of sense there, in my opinion. But uh, then there's there's two other names. Joe Susan, I put on my on my hot board personally because he is no line coach through and through. He was Rutgers' old line coach for what nine years under Shiano before getting the Bucknell head job. Uh, head coach job. Um, he actually even won Patriot League Coach of the Year at one point too. Like he knows what he's doing. It's probably an old school hire. It's not the sexy hire that people like, but New Jersey guy. He gets it. In terms of putting him on the road, obviously they didn't want to do that, and I don't think he wants to do that in his age. He's probably just like, "Fuck that! Recruiting sucks. Like it's not fun anymore." <laughs> um, I wonder if there's like a deal you can make where it's like, "All right, Joe, you're the, you're the online coach, but I'm putting Valone on the road full time." And just give Valone a little bit of a pay bump. Now, the interesting thing with Valone, his contract ends in February 2023. Mm. So it's like it kind of lines up to be like Valone's job if I if you're kind of just guessing at this point. But, uh, yeah, that's that's pretty – oh, uh, the other name is the Indiana O-line coach, Bob Bostad. I think we mentioned quite a bit in the past. He was interested in Rutgers' old – was it O-line job? Last, or under Ash or yeah. whatever it was? Yeah. yeah. So that was a couple of years ago, but uh, he's he's an interesting one because Shiano technically gave him his first NFL in one of two NFL stints ever. Uh, he was Shiano's O line coach in Tampa for two years, so they kind of they obviously know each other. They're very close with each other. He trusts him, and then again, you can pluck Indiana's O line coach. Now you're basically just telling the Big Ten West to fuck off. Like yep. we're the big boys over here. It's it's a different game, and if you got this money, like fuck it, start flaunting it. Like throw it. I don't know. It, it would make a lot of sense to steal somebody, but Valone makes the most sense, in my opinion. Yeah, the Callahan one's interesting because we've seen with the uh, the Sean Gleason hire, he brought in his offensive line coach. Um, when Harris Simiak was brought in last year, he was able to bring in one of his guys and Corey Heatherman at linebackers. It seems mm-hmm. like Greg takes a lot of input from his coordinators in terms of his staffing. <laughs> So it wouldn't surprise me if, if Kirk was like, this guy's the best. I've worked with him now for eight years. We got to go get him. Yeah. Um, I was talking to uh, Tony Liebert about possible like staff movements, if he's heard anything additional from Minnesota. He said he hasn't heard anything and that he would be really surprised if uh, if what's if Brian Callahan left because he is pretty loyal to Fleck. Um, and the same thing for uh, – Matt Simon, who's now in line to be the offensive coordinator at Minnesota. Um, 
He said one name he said that wouldn't surprise him was Greg Harbaugh Jr., who's not related to Jim Harbaugh, but he's their mm-hmm. tight ends coach, I believe. Um, That'd be anyway, interesting. Because there, like. yeah, there were some rumors on the boards that like he might be bringing somebody with him, <clears throat> a friend with him, I think so, it was. Yeah. Uh, and who knows if that's a player, if that's a coach, to be determined. But You said he's not related to Jim Harbaugh? Not that I could see, no. Okay, interesting. At this point, I think if a Minnesota person sees the 732 area code on their phone, they're just like, God damn it. Damn, yep. a lot of money. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> well, there, yeah, the person that's getting the job is happy, but like, oh, yeah, 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 of course. If it's like PJ Fleck, he's like, damn it. So, Greg Jr., yep. I'm just, it, am I reading this correct? Because I looked up Greg Harbaugh, and Greg Harbaugh is a NASA astronaut. Is Greg Jr. his son? I think we're going uh, like yeah. way off base here. But I don't it's know. Just like holy shit! Like if that's and then his son's Greg the Third. Like maybe just that would make a dude. That'd be kind of cool. Cool to talk about. Supposedly, uh, we will be talking to the OC shortly. I was told. So we'll see what he like has to today say. or this week. No, no, this, no. I'm probably not even this week. I'd probably say next week. But um, yeah. I also I want to pat ourselves in the back here. Our theory. Their tinfoil hat theory from this past weekend turned out to be true. With, uh, we have a lot. Oh, <laughs> well, yeah. So the theory that Greg probably went to Soraka in December, he got turned down, and then he got an extension, then he came mm-hmm. back around and offered him again. Uh, a lot of the reporting that's coming out of Minnesota is that Greg basically like kept coming back to Kirk. Kirk kept turning him down, and eventually he made him an offer he couldn't refuse. Um, 66% increase. It's like, holy shit. Well, like, 66% <laughs> increase from his extension. It's more than 100% increase around. Yeah. Like, it's like 120% increase from what he was making last year. That's that's what it's going to take for the East Coast. That's those East Coast taxes for you. Sign me up for that. Yeah, I mean, I, you just had all the leverage, too. Like, Greg, everybody knew Greg was in a position where he couldn't fuck this up. Mm-hmm. And so... You're able to get a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. So you finally get like an exorbitant amount of money to be a competent offensive coordinator, which is like yeah. kind of what we got. I mean, plus his son's at Monmouth. His daughter's a law student at Rutgers. Like it makes makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it does. I mean, let's be honest. If, if Rutgers, let's say, averages in 20, let's just say 28 points per game and they win, but they win, nobody's going to care about 1.4 million as long as they win. That's like, yeah. Nobody, End of the day, I'm starting, starting to come around to it a little more. I know it's pretty negative at first, but it's like it, it doesn't have to be pretty. As as long as they win, nobody's going to care. I know his his offenses are just never sexy. Yeah. Which yeah. I I love. Like you you watch the Big Twelve, you watch the Pac Twelve. It's just like wow, holy shit, man! They're just chucking it. They don't give a fuck. Like, but you watched then, that Rutgers Minnesota game where Minnesota just ran all the time and won thirty to nothing. <clears throat> if Rutgers was on the flip side of that, you wouldn't care. This is the perfect hire for complimentary football. And I've, I've heard that term yes. fucking so much lately, <laughs> like between the NFL, between college. This is complimentary football. Greg's still going to rely on his defense to win these games, but he just needs the offense to just at least score, like, I don't know, 20 points, 21 points. You score 21, it's like, all right, we'll, we'll, we'll do the Steve Peichel method. We'll hold him mm-hmm. to 17. And maybe yeah. it works. Maybe it doesn't. We'll just see because the Big Ten's not the Big East, so. Just lacking sectionists on both sides of the ball, or both both of our major <clears throat> programs in terms of basketball and then football, just relying totally on defense. Some people love that. I know Chris is like all about you know defense, <laughs> defense, defense, but the majority of people aren't. 
Um, I like so, it for hoops. I'll admit that hoops is fun to watch, but it's, it's this like nothing gets me more amped when you got like just you're one on one on a guy on basketball and it's a pause, uh, <laughs> and you're just, you're just like I don't know. It's just something like when you when you're covering a guy one on one, you just lock him down and that crowd just goes bonkers behind you. Like it's just oh, it's a great feeling. Mm. And uh, yeah, go on. So, yeah, I guess we could transfer now to, to hoops and talking about uh, teams that did not get locked down yesterday. The Iowa Hawkeyes came into uh, the rack, as we're calling it now, and uh, totally just shot the lights out against Rutgers. They won 75 or 76 to uh, 65. Rutgers uh, never led in this game. It seemed like it was just Iowa's game from the start. We had a we've kind of alluded to how much good luck Rutgers has had against defending threes all season. It's just really tough to keep up that kind of level of defense. Eventually there's going to be a team who comes in and they shoot a really, really good game. And that was Iowa. They shot a lot of threes. They made 12 of 27 threes, I believe against Mm -hmm. us. Uh, They shot 44% and Rutgers every time it seemed like they were making a comeback, they'd cut the lead, you know, to seven, they'd cut the lead to five. Iowa would just like hit these crazy dagger threes. They would get an offensive rebound and get a kick out three. Rutgers just couldn't get over that last little hump. Craig, what did you see? Or Richie, you were at the game, but I want to hear first, Craig, what you thought of the game. Yeah, I think just kind of it was probably a bad, kind of a bad matchup for them, just because Iowa is probably one of, if not the best shooting teams in the Big Ten. And obviously Rutgers, you know, their forte isn't exactly its offense. They kind of, like we said, rely on their defense to win them a lot of these games. And them three days and five, day, five days didn't help. But that's really – can't use that excuse because it's the Big Ten schedule. It is what it is. But, you know, they, they like you said, it's just one of those days where a team is going to – eventually a team is going to come in, knock down their shots, and Rutgers is going to have to respond. And they just didn't. I mean, they fell behind by 18 points early in the second half, and Rutgers' offense is just really not built to be able to come back from that. I mean, they – I've, uh, really, if you think about it, other than Spencer, there's really nobody else on this team that you can really depend on to consistently make threes. And Richie, we were talking about before, like he just makes these threes that it's like, you're like, what are you doing? Oh, that was a good shot. And it's just like, no, no, no. Yes. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. So that's, that's kind of just kid, but everybody else, you know, it's just like their three point shooting isn't great. And when you fall behind by that many points, you like, it's nice to kind of play that mid range game, try and, you can try and piece away at it, but it's, it's just, it just takes too much time. So it's trying to dig up. Putting yourself in an 18-point hole in the second half for Rutgers is just probably going to spell the end for them. And they made some threes, but that obviously not enough. And like I said, I just thought this was this was a, this was kind of a bad matchup for them. But you know, now to me, it's all about how they respond because as we saw the Ohio State game, they had a little bit of that hangover, and then it bled into the Seton Hall game, and that was just pretty much just a big clunker. So now, if Rutgers wants to prove that they can be one of the best teams in the Big Ten, just shake a loss like this off quickly because now you got to face a uh, pretty good Northwestern team again at, at Northwestern. They're coming off a uh, pretty big win at Indiana. So got to shake that off, go to Northwestern, just try and beat them now. Yeah, yeah so Richie, the ultimate mush, was uh, attending his first Rutgers game <laughs> this past weekend. And, uh, of course, it was a loss. But what did you see in person, Richie? Uh, uh, Craig was encouraged. Craig was there too. Uh, we were both oh, there you were? watching. Yeah, yep. we were both watching okay. the game. Sorry about it that. was uh, That's okay. it was interesting. I got relegated to. Uh, I guess I hit conf- uh, confirmation too uh, too late to the game, so I got relegated to the auxiliary press box at one point. <laughs> uh, which honestly, it's not an awful view. You get that like that glass uh, above that like little premium section there. It's a pretty decent view. But uh, anyway, it was uh, 
like like Craig said, it was just every time they fought back, like it's just the first half sucked. Let's just put it like that. That was just yep. ugly basketball. It was brutal. Couldn't shoot. They couldn't defend. Oh, what was it? It was what they have in the first half. Um, thirty. Th- yeah, thirty. Like, yeah, which for them it's like for them it's usual because I feel like you know. Usually they're thirty, but usually it's a close game. But they were down by twelve, I think, at the halftime. Yeah. And then they gave up fifty-one percent shooting from the from the field, like at the first half. That was just disgusting. Yeah, uh, they did fight back. They fought back a lot, and I, and that's Steve Feitel's. Oh, hold on, I remember. Um, <laughs> what do you call it? Uh, yeah, so they they fought back a ton in the second half, and every time they fight back, it's like dagger three, and it's like Jesus. Like, yep. Fight back! Fight back! Fight back! Dagger three! Fight back! Fight back! Fight back! Dagger three! And it's just like, geez, dude, what what is going on? Like this. Never seen a team shoot that well at the rack. Mm-hmm. Jordan Bohannon and his, like, you know how he said there's a gypsy curse and shit? That, it, it, it was only him. It was only on him specifically. <laughs> mm-hmm. It wasn't on, like, on this Iowa team yesterday. It was it was ridiculous. And their matchups are probably bad, too. If you look at the, like, this five-on-five matchup versus Rutgers, they have an under a little bit of an undersized center compared to Cliff. And for some reason, Cliff just gets bodied by these undersized centers. And it's just, it was brutal. They attacked the shit out of the paint. And there was just yep. nothing they could do against it. Like, they had what? I think out of those, what did I say, 40, 42 in the first half? I think out of those, it was 24, 25 points were in the paint. They just attacked, attacked, attacked the, the, the paint, and there's nothing really Cliff could do about it. Um, <clears throat> uh, overall, and then the shooting was just bad, too. And obviously, it got better in the second half. I thought Cam was pretty on, not on fire, but he was doing pretty well, and I probably would have had him take, like, a couple more threes because he was shooting really well from three. And I, I said this before the pod. Every time he took a three, I'm sitting in the press box. I'm like, oh, dude, contested. What the hell are you? T- oh, it went in. Shit. All right. Yeah. <laughs> All right n- next one. Like, that guy's even because in his face. Like, oh, what is he doing? It went in. All right, cool. Third mm-hmm. one, he fucking falls. He gets fouled. No foul called. Um, I know, Mike, you alluded to this uh, before the pod. The refs pretty much swallowed the whistle, like, the entire yeah. game. But uh, but if you read uh, the tweet, I quote tweeted today from the Rutgers Rivals Twitter, uh, t- t- Iowa thinks that. The whistle was on Rucker's side, and it's just like, all right, well, no, but sure. Uh, but he got fouled on another three, and he, he hit it. And I'm like, what the hell is going on? You know what? At this point, just chuck. Like, I don't care. Mm-hmm. If you're hitting those, yep. just keep going. You're feeling it. And uh, I, I, I do want to pat myself on the back a little here, too, because I said, what, before, I guess it was two games in the Big Ten play, I was like, yeah, Cam Spencer's struggling. Just let him keep shooting. Just keep shooting. Just keep shooting. And it seems like this game, the game before that, game before that, when he hit the dagger winner or the game winner, he's he's back. Like he's back in his mood, back in his good flow. Now the rest of the team has to start shooting threes because they're just or start making threes. They're shooting them, they're just not making them. Yeah, just yeah, man. If they could have a second guy like that, like I could just knock down threes, I feel like it would open up the offense even more. Sometimes you see it with Hyatt where he'll just kind of do the same thing. He takes these threes, you're like, What the hell? Oh, winning, okay. But then they'll just disappear like the second half of games and you know, they just really need a second kind of go to Shooter sure. like that, I think it would open up the offense a lot we more. We just need consistency, man. Like Paul sometimes looks like the most efficient offensive player in the country, and other nights he literally can't make a shot. Like I think he started the game last night or yesterday, zero for eight from the field, if I remember correctly. He ended up scoring seven points, but like yeah, Cam was the only guy doing anything beyond the arc last yesterday. He went three for six from three. The rest of the team went two for twelve. Like we need to get a second guy who could hit an open shot because. We had the opportunity to claw back. Every time we were within five or within six or within seven, we we would get an open shot and we would miss it. We were also missing a lot of shots right around the rim too. Like we have to be one of the worst teams in the country at finishing within like five feet outside a cliff. 
because there was just like runners from Paul, runners from Cam, runners from Watt Mag that were just like bunnies. Like you should be making those and they bricked them. So there's, we had opportunities. We just didn't take advantage of them. There's little stuff too. Like even Derek Simpson, like obviously he got fouled on the one on the, it should have been an and one. The man goes up mm -hmm. right-handed right in front of the guy and then gets hacked. And it's like, yep. dude, it, this is like simple basketball. Just if you're on the left side of the rim, go up this way. So he can't foul you. Can't hit the ball. Can't hit your hand. Like you, you might still get the foul, but you get an easier lay in with your left hand. And it's just like simple stuff like that. And it's like, oh, drove, drove me nuts seeing that. And I know he's a freshman. He'll learn still too. But uh, and, and like, I hate to say it. Like you, you hype up Dean Reber like this like three point shooter. The man doesn't attempt anything. Yeah, he's not good. <laughs> I, I, I hate to say it, Wolfolk's got to take his minutes. I know Wolfolk only played like one minute, and Dean Reaver played five. And it's not significant minutes, but he's got to take his minutes at this point. I, I think that's without question, especially if Reaver's going to get abused down low. Like, you, you got to do something. Reaver was in for like the first minute, and then they go and they attack him. Like, they know who, who the weakness is. They're going to go attack him in the paint. Like, there's times where he, he hustles. I'm not going to deny his hustle. He, he hustles every fucking time, actually. And he'll, 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 he'll try to push people around, but he's just not a big body at the end of the day. He's not able to get there. And he's, he's kind of becoming a liability on defense and he doesn't shoot the ball. So he's a liability on offense. Like, Yeah. And like, Iowa just seems to always have this, like this guy, like Peyton Sanforth, who just killed us yesterday. These like six, seven to six, nine wings who just can knock down open shots. I mean, we got killed by Joe Wieskamp for years uh, Jared Utah at the beginning of us being in the Big Ten killed us a few times. Like, they just always seem to have that guy on Iowa who is like the, literally like a creative player. It's like, what what height should I make him? Six nine, <laughs> white guy can shoot threes. <laughs> only seems to really break out against Rutgers. Um, <laughs> they they were like the, some of the shots Iowa hit yesterday. You just got to tip your cap to them because like they were just coming around yeah. screens hitting like you know twenty three foot fadeaways just like. Nothing but net. They just, at times, they were unstoppable. They just answered every single punch we gave them with a knockout blow from them. So when we, I think we had like an 8-0 run at one point, and they called a timeout. And like right out of the timeout, they hit just a dagger three out of the corner. So it was stuff. They they played a really good game. Rutgers didn't have it yesterday, unfortunately. And let me know if you agree, but I feel like it's it's so weird. I feel like Rutgers' style is more built for the Big Ten, so Rutgers might end up being more successful in league play. But we, as we've seen now, year after year now, when the Big Ten gets to like the big the to March Madness and they face more teams like in Iowa or whoever it may be that can actually step back and shoot the ball. They get knocked down like the first, second round so early, and it's just like they, you know, yeah. it's like Big Ten plays that old kind of, you know, not maybe 1980s style of basketball, and then everybody else kind of plays that NBA more NBA more current NBA style, and they end up winning in the end. So I guess I don't know. It's just just it's like a, it's like a vicious circle kind of thing. Well, that's why they say that the what do you call it? That's why the, the tournament uh, championship drought is for the Big Ten is because they just don't they're not adapting to the new basketball. They're just playing old school, and it's. But it's also because I feel like, but it's all at the same time, it's like they can't because it's like they almost can't survive league play like that. So it's kind of like a circle. That's why, like, Iowa's what, two and four, two and three? Exactly. Like, yeah. like Iowa will end up, let's just say Iowa will end up middle of the pack, maybe sneak into the tournament as whatever, like a double digit seed. Mm -hmm. They're the ones who go on a run because they play that, uh, that style of basketball. But it's, yeah, it's just so weird how it's like to survive league play, you got to play this way, but to, 
survive the dance, you got to play this way. Just exactly. Very, it's very mm-hmm. weird. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, unfortunately, uh, Rutgers just cannot. Doesn't seem like they have a, a a clear path to coming back from a big uh, a big deficit. I mean, obviously, we were down by eighteen. We closed it to five at one point, so there is a path, but it relies mm-hmm. basically on like continuing to play lockdown defense and just cashing in on fast break steals. Um, uh, because on a day where Cam Spencer looked really good, there was nobody else who really could could take I, up the mantle. I guess of you want to take the, the fact. I mean, it's it's. I mean, you wouldn't expect anything less from a Pykele team, but they were down. But like I said, they were down by eighteen. Cut it to five. A couple stops here and there. And it's a new game, so maybe we're not going to happen against Iowa because there's probably the best shooting team in the conference. But if if somehow somebody if somebody else was to build up a lead like that, maybe 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 it's a different story. Well, maybe it's a different story one of these days. Yeah. It's not exactly the goal to go down by 18. <laughs> no, it's not. Uh, well, we covered a lot here, guys. Was there anything else you wanted to touch on before we sign off? Oh, and I, also, I actually wanted to mention, um, so after the game in the press conference room, it was very interesting how, so obviously they started out with the game, but Fran McCaffrey, the first thing he talked about, I don't know if you guys saw, was the fact that obviously you heard about his, his son kind of stepped away from the team because he's dealing with uh, anxiety. And apparently Rutgers, uh, the team went over to him and they actually made it like give, give him a get well card. Everybody signed it, gave it to him. So Fran McCaffrey kind of just explained, just, you know, talked about how classy Rutgers was and that type of thing. And obviously they went over to talk to him and things like that. So it's just a very classy gesture by them. And then, and then Pykele came in and they, he was asked about it and he discussed kind of just, it, it started out as kind of like a, you know, a press conference room, but then it also became kind of like a conversation about, uh, I guess, mental health with like just college athletes. And I thought if you get the chance, I think anybody should really watch. McCaffrey's post game conference and po- and Pykele's post game conference because I thought it was just just a very very good very real thing that's like shows that like I kind of like I think with I think with everything that's gone on with sports today between the Demar Hamlin thing between uh, McCaffrey we're kind of I hope we're kind of going in a direction where we <laughs> see as athletes aren't just like these robots who go out there to play for our you know, our entertainment it's also these are like human beings that do these things and have real emotions and things like that and we're kind of just you know kind of building maybe more of a bond between, I guess, fan, whatever it may be between fan and player. I I hope personally, I hope we're kind of going in more and I hope we can continue going in that direction and that we can have more of an understanding that maybe, you know, sometimes we want it, you know, sometimes you want it, you just so caught up in the moment that you want to tweet something that you go back and look back and you're like, eh, that wasn't such a nice thing to say. So I kind of hope we continue to go in that direction and realize that these aren't just, you know, robots out there, that they are actual people with real emotions. And no matter if they're on scholarship, making money, whatever it may be, they're still at the end of the day, they're still humans. And I hope we just continue to, you know, build upon that. Cause I thought it was a very good conversation we had. I, I don't know if I can follow that one up. That was, <laughs> that was very well said, Craig. Thank you. Um, yeah, so Rutgers plays Wednesday, Northwestern. It's going to be a tough one. Uh, Ohio State after that, Michigan State after that, Penn State after that, Iowa after that. You don't get an easy game until February 1st, so this is this is the gauntlet. This is it. Welcome to the Big Ten. It's Q1, 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 Q2, Q1, Q4. So, <laughs> yep. This is an- it is a tough road, so uh, stay tuned to your podcast feed. Stay tuned to the boards. There might be some more breaking news later. I don't know. We'll, uh, we'll have to see. Mm-hmm. Um, we also have a, a very uh, special 
podcast for you guys that'll be coming out soon as well. We'll be talking to a former offensive player who played under Coach Soraka at Rutgers uh, to kind of discuss what it was like playing for him, what you know, what it was like playing uh, for Rutgers in general. So stay tuned to that because that'll be coming out in the near future. But for me, for Richie, for Craig, thanks again for listening. This has been another edition of the Night Report Podcast. I'm signing off. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.